I met this six-year-old child with this blank, pale, emotionless face and the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Welcome to Too Much Time On Our Hands, The Theatrical Cut. You join us in Haddonfield for the Halloween episode of the film's Halloween. You missaid the word Hatfield then. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Lol. Obviously starting there with the iconic Dr Loomis and the iconic Halloween theme tune, which is the most iconic. John Carpenter doing... Writing the theme tune, singing the theme tune. Although, obviously, there's no singing. Um, so, obviously, we talked about Hellraiser, Sonya's favourite horror franchise last week. So this week is my favourite horror franchise, which is Halloween. Who are you? Who am I? Oh, fuck, yeah. I'm Terry. <laughs> I'm Hello f- and welcome to another episode of <laughs> Too Much Time On Our Hands, a theatrical cut. He's Terry. He's an idiot. <laughs> Should we go again? No, I like it. Let's keep it. Okay, and... Opposite me is Sonia. Hello, Terry. <laughs> Thanks for being sat with pointing out where I've gone wrong. That's all right. Not bellowing it for all to hear. <laughs> Always a pleasure. I like pointing out other people's mistakes. Good. So, yes, yeah, so we're going to talk about the Halloween franchise, or more, for the most part, Halloween's one through three. And I will now give my review of Halloween... 2018, as I imagine you'd have to call it, because it's got the same name as the first film, although the first one would always be John Carpenter's Halloween. So this film ignores every other film other than the original Halloween. It ignores 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and then Rob Zombie's 1 and 2. And I absolutely loved it. I thought it was very, very good. It takes Michael Myers back to being scary and being like the visceral beast that he was. So in the first film, he's referred to as the shape within the script and he didn't have a name. And I feel like he's back to that. He became, although he doesn't talk and he doesn't do anything, he becomes like quite a vivid character in the fra- within the franchise as it goes on, whereas this takes him back to this just faceless killer. And I mean, we'll get onto it when we get into like talk about franchises, but one of the things I really dislike about the franchise is the fact that they made them brother and sister. I didn't like that they turned Laurie into his sister that he was trying to kill. I thought it was better and scarier that he was just randomly killing people and she happened to be one of them. Mm. So this film goes back to that. She is not his sister. It starts with a British documentary team who make a podcast oh. <laughs> uh, going to Smith's Grove Sanitarium to talk to Michael. It's in the trailers where that, you've got that checkerboard floor and they're, they're talking to Michael saying, we want to speak, like, we want to hear your side. Basically... A little bit into the film, we basically find out that they feel that like maybe Michael has been mistreated, being locked up. Because in this iteration of the story, he's been locked up for forty years since he killed Laurie's friends. Hmm. He's not seen, not been outside. He's just been locked up, and they sort of think that maybe he deserves a second chance. Like we're all human after all. So they go to see him at this sanitarium, 
try and talk to him to try and strike a reaction they pull out the original mask which somehow this documentary maker has managed to get from his friends who works for like the department of justice because mm. they just hand out artifacts from mass murderers um and the this is like literally right at the start and it all like the tension builds up the music builds up every other inmate is going mental at this point and you're waiting for michael to like turn around snap and then that's when it just snaps into the credits and it sort of almost gives you a jump scare as it goes mm. into the credits as a twist on the original Halloween where it has the pumpkin and the credits, we start off with a rotten pumpkin and through the course of the credits it like regenerates, obviously playing backwards like they did in mm. Hellraiser. And then it cuts into the film, so we've got... He's being transported again, would mm. you believe? So he's now being moved to like an actual jail facility rather than like a psychiatric ward. They've decided that there's nothing they can do for him. He's got to go. The documentary team go to see Laurie Strode, and she is like an absolute recluse. She lives in the middle of this wood. She's got a massive fence around her house. There's signs up saying, like, do not trespass. Basically, they get entrance because they offer her $3,000 to do this interview. And essentially, she's just a complete show. And she's got a daughter who was taken off of her when she was 12 because she wasn't... Well, the state deemed she wasn't looking after her properly because she was basically teaching her to survive. Yeah. She was teaching her how to fire guns, how to hide, how to do this, how to do that. Um they try and bait her as well, and they're just like, oh, we want to see the other side. And she's like, there is no other side. He was a psychopath. He was a killer. So it then cuts to everyone boarding this bus out of this sanitarium. Strangely, again, they're doing it at night. Mm. You'd, you'd think they'd learn from their mistakes. His new doctor, whose name I can't remember. He's got a foreign name, but he's obviously like the new Dr. Loomis. He refers to the fact that he's read all of Loomis's work, and he just wants to help he decides that he has to get on the bus as well because it's his patient until he gets to that new place. We then have a father and son driving down the highway at night talking about kind of weird... So this is where Danny McBride comes into it. So one of my scepticisms of this film was Danny McBride, who was a comedy actor who was friends with James Franco, and he co-wrote this film. So there's his father and son off hunting and the son saying, like, we don't, I don't always have to come with you, Dad. Like, I don't mind hunting, but I'm missing dance class for this. I'd rather be at dance class and the dad's like no 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 we're going hunting we're going to go hunting it's going to be fine they happen upon this bus with all these people <laughs> mm. and it, it was at this point so it was me and Dan that went to go and see the film it was at this point that the man behind us started a running commentary of the film um, so he was just like fucking hell moron why are you getting out of the car you fucking moron he's being a moron why is he going over those people and he's like you just want to turn around and go you are aware this is a film within this film they are not aware that this is a Halloween film Mm. They are not aware that this is Michael Myers. They are not aware of this. And also, if he didn't get out of the car, it'd be a fucking shit film, wouldn't it? Mm. People have to make mistakes for the film to be entertaining. Um, so shit goes down. Michael ends up stealing the car. And then he coincidentally ends up at the gas station with the documentary crew. And it's an amazing shot because it's just them going about their business without noticing Michael. And in the background, you can just see Michael killing Mm. but like through windows and stuff. So he offs them to get his mask back and then that's where it kicks in properly. I won't go into too much more than that, but so then it just becomes Halloween of like the first one. He gets back to Haddonfield. It's Halloween night. He's stalking around, but he is just, because they've removed the sister element, he is just killing everything. He's just going into houses, killing people coming out of houses, mm. using hammers, using knives. And it's just properly back to like, He's just, and what I love about Michael Myers, which we'll get into, is the way he plays with people. Like he hides from them, he appears, he disappears, mm. he makes noises, he makes them feel like he's there. 
And there is some great twists on that with him and Laurie towards the end, but it's just so it's just nice to see Michael back being scary. Mm. And there's some bits in the film that I didn't see coming as well, which is rare in a film in general, but also a Halloween film. Bearing in mind, for this podcast, I've watched one to eight, with six being twice, because there is a normal cut and a producer's cut, which I watched both of. And it's just people in the cinema were really reacting to it, like prop- people jumping, squealing, screaming. It's like the guy giving the fucking running commentary behind us. Um, but yeah, it's just properly jumpy, properly scary... And he's just really brutal. So, like, obviously, in the first one, there's literally like pins people to walls with knives. He does that sort of stuff again. Mm. It's not, it's not silly. No one's laughing. There are stupid jokes throughout it. Again, Danny McBride. But it's just the relationship. So, Laurie's got a daughter, played by Judy Greer, and then she's got a daughter. And it's sort of like that matriarchal relationship because Judy Greer doesn't get on with her mum because she thinks, like, not that she abused her, but that her childhood was shit because she was mm. just taught how to survive. Whereas obviously Alison, who's the daughter, the granddaughter, wants to know her grandmother, loves her grandmother as people do. It's really odd because she refers to her as grandmother at all times. It just seems odd that people wouldn't shorten that down. And it's there's bits where she comes to the house, but she's very much... It's probably like PTSD. Her house is just... She's got shutters everywhere that mm. she can put down. There's guns everywhere. She's just constantly on... When he gets released, she goes and watches the bus and then has a breakdown because she sees him on the bus. But it's just really, really well done. Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing in it. Everyone in it is really good. There's nothing... Say it isn't like it's not breaking new territory. It's not like taking the franchise in a different direction. It's taking it back to its roots. Mm. And the score, which obviously John Carpenter did for this film, is epic again. It's just... He uses the theme that we just played very sparingly. Like the bit when he first puts on the mask, it kicks in first time properly. And it's just... Yeah, I can't... I want to go and see it again. I'm kind of sad we didn't see it together because I feel like we would have had a, a, a ruddy good chat afterwards. <laughs> <clears throat> but no, I absolutely loved it. I would recommend it for Halloween fans, horror fans, slasher fans, and people that just want a bit of a jump. So it's not scary in the sense of you walk out of it and you're worried, but while you're watching it is. There are some very tense scenes because hmm. it almost becomes like a haunted house film again towards the end where he's in the house, where is he in the house, that kind of thing. And yeah, it's just there's so many bits, like with the first one, where he's just there but no one else is aware of him other than you and he's just there's a wonderful scene where there's um like security lights on a house that are obviously motion activated and they keep cutting out and every time they come back on he's moved and he's disappeared yeah. and it just really plays with you and just sets you right on edge but with that, i can't really talk too much more without going into massive spoilers obviously i've, I've covered a few there but um yeah i'm hopefully gonna go and see it on thursday but no, it's so good and it's there's the the little things. There's lots of little nods to the films that they've completely retconned. Because as I say, every even two doesn't exist in this franchise. Only the initial night, because two is where we find out that it's his sister. Um, mm. The credits are all in orange. You got the theme tune in there. It's just, it's just a lovely, lovely film. And the mask looks good as well because that's one of the main things that the sequels all got wrong. They fucked about with the mask mm. where they just couldn't get it right. But yeah, I would heartily recommend. It. I can't wait to hear what you think on the next podcast, Sonia. Cool. Um, just just very quickly, I remembered uh, something that I didn't cover on last week's weekly roundup that I've been watching is um, The Haunting of Hill House on Netflix. It's on my list. Of, yeah, I'm only, like, I'm only like three or four episodes in. It's really good, like genuinely like some decent like scares and creepy bits in it, I reckon. Yeah. yeah, I reckon it's one of the sort of like good horrors out there. It's 
decent. But yeah, I just I just meant to mention. I think like ten maybe. Nah, that's right. Um, yeah, I meant to mention it last time, but I forgot because it's not a letterbox, is it? No. Sometimes odd episodes of things are, but are like not full series. Some of the Doctor Who's are randomly on there, but others aren't. Um, so let's get on to the main body of the episode then. So let's talk about Halloween 1 to 3. So with us saying 1 to 3, we're obviously talking about 1, 2 and 3, as they are literally called Halloween, Halloween 2, Halloween 3. But as mentioned, we could go in any number of combinations because they constantly rewrite themselves. Mm. So Halloween H2O, which is number 7, ignores two to six obviously you've got rob zombies reboots in the middle of there mm. and now you've got essentially two to the original one but we are talking about halloween one halloween two halloween three the season of the witch <laughs> yes <laughs> so halloween one 1978 what a fine year that was it was was that the year you were born sonia that would be revealing my age wouldn't it possibly mm. um so made for a a measly three hundred thousand dollars. Wow! Over a course of twenty days. Wow! John Carpenter and a few buddies made the film Halloween, which was conceived as the Babysitter Murders, and then John Carpenter was given that brief and he turned it into hmm. what it became, possibly the most copied version of a of a horror icon. I would have thought. Yeah. Because as we said on the Jason podcast, there is no Jason without Michael. No. Basically, he is the slasher. And I think I've said on the podcast before when Steve wrote in to say that the Halloween film was shit, that it kind of seems shit if you're watching it for the first time because it seems like he's copying everyone. But he set all of those precedents, the lurking in the shadows, the being in the background, Mm. the appearing and disappearing. That's all this film's creation. And as we actually went to go and see Halloween for like a 40th anniversary screening at the cinema, unfortunately... uh, Age got the better of me and I fell asleep for about 50% of the film. 50%? As, as Dan, Add another 50% to that, Derek. As Dan said, that probably shows that Halloween is also a comfort film of mine because there was a little interview beforehand with John Carpenter where he gave a lovely little interview and then the second the music kicked in, I felt my eyes get heavy. Yeah. And I don't remember much of the film. Luckily, I've seen it many times and luckily I've seen it on the big screen before I was. I would have been very disappointed in myself, but... Yeah, it, it it wasn't a fun time for me to wake up um, and know that I've slept through most of my best film. Um, an, another thing to note, um, when Terry did fall asleep, because I was I was with him and he was sandwiched between um, myself and uh, theatrical cut superfan Rich. Um, we were like the the bread to Terry's <laughs> spam filling, if you like. Um, it, there then became the point in the film where we were sort of thinking we're going to have to prodding, prodding because the snoring is getting louder. <laughs> um, and we both just kind of like leaned forward and looked at each other. It was just kind of like, well, you prod him. No, you prod him. No, you prod him. But luckily he woke up. He must have heard us bickering over who was going to wake him up, who was more embarrassed to be seen with him. Um, but it's a good thing. You obviously needed the rest, dear. Yeah, honestly, I felt tired during the day, but it was the second that theme tune started, my eyelids just it's became like a lead. lullaby for you. Yeah, yeah, it really, really was. Um, so, yeah, so as we said, 1978. So this film opens with a point of view shot of the Myers house as we come to find it. And basically this person is stalking around the house and we see Judith Myers and her boyfriend having a little little kiss and a fumble and they decide to go upstairs at this point. Kiss and a fumble. <laughs> what it was at this point this 
this person whose perspective we're on walks into the house, pops on a mask, and then proceeds to walk up the stairs. Oh, no, he walks around the house a bit. The boyfriend leaves. Mm. He walks up the stairs. His naked sister, I think, is... She's certainly topless, isn't she? Is brushing her hair in the mirror, turns around and goes, oh, Michael, what are you doing here? At this point, we see a knife come into shot, and there are multiple stabs to this topless girl. She's on the floor. He then turns around, walks out of the house. As a car pulls up, people get out of the thing. A hand goes across the camera lens slash the eyes and the mask comes off and it is revealed that it is like a six-year-old child, Michael Myers. And then we cut to credits and some 15 years later where we now follow Laurie Strode, who's the clean-cut girl next door, mm. studies hard, she, her dad, as she goes off to school, her dad's like, oh, can you drop this off at the Myers house? Pop the key under the, the mat, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, because he's like an estate yeah, agent. Yeah, he's an estate agent. He? Pop the key under the old Myers house because I've got someone coming around that I'm going to sell the house to. No, I've skipped way ahead there because Michael hasn't escaped yet. So then it cuts to Dr. Loomis, Donald Pleasant, going to Smith's Grove Sanitarium because he's got to take Michael to a court date to get him locked up for the rest of his life because, mm. as you heard in the quote there, Dr. Loomis doesn't think there's anything behind Michael. He is just pure evil incarnated in human form. As they approach Smith's Grove, there's lots of patients out in the road. They get out of the car to see what's going on. Michael jumps in the car and drives off. Somehow in the intervening 15 years, he's learned to drive whilst locked in the sanitarium. One of the few plot points. <laughs> um, so he then drives back to Haddonfield and Dr. Loomis follows his like path of destruction where he's killed people. He's stolen, he's killed a garage attendant and stolen his overalls, which is obviously the classic Michael look in mm. the overalls. He gets to Haddonfield. We see, do we see him steal the mask? We don't in this one, do we? We just, we know that a, a sh- like a shop has been broken into and like a knife and a mask was the only mm. thing stolen. But we see the Smith's Grove sanitarium car in the background in a lot of the shots. Um, so then it cuts to Laurie going to the Myers house. As she drops the key under the mat, we cut to inside and Michael is stood there watching her put this key under the thing. She walks off and then he basically begins to stalk her. He follows her down the street. She's in a class paying attention to the teacher, looks out of the mirror and he's stood there now in the Michael Myers mask, which trivia that everyone knows, it's a William Shatner mask with the eye holes cut bigger and painted white. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? I did not know I thought that. Everyone, yeah, it's a Michael Myers they went with it was either a clown mask or they just went and bought a mask and painted it white, which turned out to be William Shatner. No idea. Which is why in the Rob Zombie version, when he's a kid, he wears that clown mask. Mm. That's like a homage to that was almost the mask they chose Mm. for Michael to wear throughout the film. But yeah, so it's William Shatner with the eyes cut out. Wow. There we go. You've learnt something today. Yeah. So he stood there watching her. She looks back into the classroom, looks back, and he's gone. Um, Which is... Something that happens a lot with Michael in the film. So then it, we meet Laurie's two friends who are Lindsay and... Annie. Annie, that's it. Oh, fucking hell. My memory's like yours tonight with names. So we find out that Lindsay's obviously a bit of a slut. Annie is the sheriff's daughter, but possibly not as promiscuous as Lindsay, but she's definitely got a boyfriend that she is um, having relations with. <laughs> Fumbles and relations, eh? Yeah, that, that's the one. Is Laurie courting anyone? No, well, she likes Ben Tramer, doesn't she? Because there's a, there's a dance coming up and they're talking about how Ben Tramer, she should ask Ben Tramer, and she's like, oh, no, I, I wouldn't want to. She talks about how she's seen this weird guy and then Michael appears at a hedgerow in the distance. She's like, that's the guy. 
Annie runs off to sort of accost him. He disappears behind the hedge. And then Annie stood there going, oh, you like her, do you? You want to go to dance with her? So then Laurie comes up and she, he's gone. And she mm. was just, just teasing her. At this point, Annie's dad appears and scares the bejesus out of Laurie. And we get the immortal quote, everyone's entitled to one good scare at Halloween. Yeah. Um, so then it transpires that Laurie is off to babysit Tommy Doyle for the evening. And Annie will be babysitting Lindsay? No, the friend's Lindsay. That's a girl. Yeah, a little girl who lives across the road. And they're going to be like, so Annie is going to want Lindsay, Laurie to look after the little girl so that her boyfriend can come over. Throughout this, we see Michael sort of skulking in the background. Annie drops off the little girl, goes back to her car, gets in, and she notices that there's perspiration on the window, leans forward, and as she touches it, Michael appears in the back of the car and reaches forward. Does he slit her throat or snap her neck? Cuts her throat. Yeah, he? cuts her throat open, leaves her in the car. At this point, because it's quite a funny death scene, isn't it? And the yeah. fact that it's just kind of like so lame, almost. Yeah. Well, three hundred k doesn't get you a lot of blood. No, I'm, I'm, yeah, but you can still act. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at this point, Lindsay and her boyfriend turn up because they're going to be using the same house that Annie's using to have their relations and fumbles. A sex house. Yeah, basically. In Rob Zombie's remake, for some reason, they do that in the Myers house. Not really sure why, because that just seems... It's more filthy, isn't it? Yeah, very Rob Zombie-esque. Mm. Uh, so they go into the house. Annie's not there. They assume that she's off to see her boyfriend, so they decide to get down to it themselves. They go upstairs. They have quite quick Relations. Sex. Yeah, quite quick relations. And then he goes downstairs to get a beer. When he goes downstairs, he meets his mortal end to Michael, who stabs him against a wall and with quite some vigour because he is left pinned to the wall by the blade. And it's at this point that Michael's funny side starts to come out as he throws a sheet over his head, puts on the boyfriend's glasses and then just stands there in the doorway with Lindsay shaking her boobs at him, saying like, come on in. And then he offs her as well. And then that's when it sort of kicks into what most people would assume. So that's when... Does he come... How did he get to the house? Because they're across the road. Tommy Doyle sees him across the road and starts panicking about the boogeyman because he's mm. obviously just stood there. And then, how, I can't remember how he gets to the house. Does he just start breaking in or does she see... I can't remember how that bit goes. He just breaks in, doesn't he? I can't remember. Because I can't remember if he just appears in the house... Where he like sneaks in how he does to most places. Oh, I don't know. I can't remember. I think he just appears in the house, doesn't he? Yeah, so he appears in the house. They get the kids out and then he follows them out. Then they get back in the house. They're hiding in the bathroom and a cop arrives because obviously there's been a lot of screaming. The cop's trying to get in the bathroom and Michael reappears and kills him. And we see a lovely blood splatter up against the window. Mm. Tommy and little Lindsay get out and run off to get help. And then we get the iconic scenes in the bedroom where... Laurie hides in the wardrobe mm. and she thinks she's doing a good job. And then Michael, instead of opening the doors to the wardrobe, just smashes the fuck through them in a proper jump. He's got the big old butcher's knife in his hand. He's swinging for her. She stabs him in the eye with a coat hanger. He f he lays there, apparently dead. Laurie comes right up to the camera, sits up against the wall, panting like, oh, I've done it, I've done it. And then in the background, we see him sit back upright. Yeah. Probably one of the first times where like the killer was dead and starts coming back to life. I feel like because obviously you asked the question in the last episodes about Chucky and about Jason, like is he immortal? 
I don't think he was originally. He mm. was just some double-hard bastard who could take a bit of punishment. In the original timeline, yes, he is immortal. That gets covered in later films, where there's the cult of Thorn that help him stay alive. Um, and then he proceeds to come for her again. She goes over the stairs. Dr. Loomis arrives, fires two shots into Michael, then another three shots, and he goes through a window, out onto the floor... Laurie says, is that the boogeyman? And Donald Ple- or Dr. Lewis says, I think it is. And then he goes to the window to look at the body and he's gone. <gasps> and then that is how Halloween 1 ends. Which apparently um, Donald Pleasance was meant to look surprised when he looked and saw that Michael had gone. And he was like, no, it needs to be that he, like, it's almost like, oh, of course he's gone. Yeah. Um, so that is the end of Halloween 1, which, as we've mentioned, I mean, it's been covered on the podcast for the greatest slasher film for me is where, say, Michael, he doesn't speak, he doesn't move any faster than a canter, but it is that impending doom of he will get you. It's much more human in this one because he does get hurt and it does like, affect him. It's in the later films where he becomes this sort of immortal being where he can take like 15 rounds to the chest but keep going. What do you think of the original Halloween song? Oh, I love it. Yeah, I think it's great. Anything to add? Uh, not really, no. I enjoyed watching it at the cinema, all 97 minutes or so of it. It was really yeah. good, yeah. Well, we did, I say, I have seen it, it was part of the horror marathon we saw at the Prince Charles a couple of years ago. I probably slept through that one. I think it was the opening film, so I think we both survived through that one quite all right. But uh, it was, hearing the theme tune on the big screen as well was just it was magical. Just, it was just great seeing, even like the credits coming up on the big screen, it just looks, it just looks amazing, doesn't it? And it, like Terry said, it had like a little uh, interview at the start, which was a few years old. Yeah. Um, just talking about the film and that, uh, which was a nice little touch. Yeah. I thought, because it was a 40th anniversary viewing of it. Um, no, I think it's like really stood up and it's it's created, um, you know, it created two horror icons, really, because you've got Michael and you've got Laurie Strode as well. Yeah. Um, a horror icon and a horror... The original Scream heroine. Queen. Yeah, exactly. Started Jamie Lee Curtis on her career. Mm. Um, no, I really like it. I really rate it. Yeah, no, I say when you consider that it's forty years old, mm. it still it stands up to most of the drivel that comes out these days, and even the better films that are out these days, it's better than all of those. It's just because yeah. the thing that this one has, and also the, I didn't really mention it in the review of the new one, there isn't a lot of blood and gore. No, which in the first film it was budgetary restraints, but in the new one, a lot of it happens off camera. So he'll go into a room and walk through the door and turn left and the camera will stay on the doorway and you just hear and see mm. things flying and then you walk through afterwards and see the aftermath but you don't actually see like the that. viciousness of it yeah. so yeah because that's all it's always worse in your head if you're hearing yeah. someone screaming hearing thud 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 yeah. it's never going to be as if they show it it's never going to be as good as what's in your head because mm. it's just going to be a hammer hitting someone on the back of the head Whoop. yeah but in your head that can be anything so there was actually, when we talked about Jason last time, obviously there being eight films in nine years, there was actually like a three-year gap between Halloween and Halloween 2. Oh, really? Because at that point, you didn't make sequels. They all, I've watched a few documentaries, they all talk about, we never thought about making another one, because you didn't. Yeah. Whereas now, it's, oh yeah, we make a sequel, obviously. It yeah. just wasn't even heard of at that point. But uh, there was a clamour for it, and obviously the first one off that 300,000 made 40 million. Bloody hell. 47 million, which... 
put into like today's money would be 186 million dollars crazy yeah crazy money for such a small budget again why it spawned so many films mm. and to be honest it's not been come close to at all so rob zombies halloween is the highest grossing at the cinema with 58 million mm. to put that into context the new one is on course to make 95 million in its opening weekend mm. it's strange how big this new one seems to be yeah like it's got a lot of i think obviously jamie lee curtis coming on board has mm. had a big big thing to do with that but it it's everywhere. It's all, like Jamie Lee Curtis has said she's never had this much attention in her career ever before. Yeah. So be interesting to see. I'm imagining that's going to make a good few hundred million. There is talk of a sequel already, but apparently they had a sequel planned before they even made this one. Originally they were going to shoot them back to back, but decided mm. against it. Um, so yeah. So then we move on to Halloween two. So filmed a couple of years later, but set immediately after. So we follow Laurie to hospital with her wounds with Jamie Lee Curtis wearing. A better wig than Michelle Williams in Venom, but still not a very good wig because by this point, Jamie Lee Curtis had her trademark short haircut, but obviously Laurie didn't. Hmm. So it immediately follows on. Laurie's shipped straight off to hospital. Michael is skulking around somewhere. Um, Dr. Loomis is obviously still there on the lookout. And Michael kills a few people on the way. There's like some like another babysitter. Obviously, news is getting around of these killings that have happened and people are panicking. Oh, I'm just down the road from that. Yeah. Michael appears, offs a couple more people and then he hears through like a TV, like through a police radio or something that Laurie Strode has been taken to hospital and he, he, heads, he heads straight to the hospital pronto, calls himself a cab, jumps in to the hospital, my good man. Gets an Uber. <laughs> I mean, if it was set now, he definitely would. Um... So he heads on over to the hospital where somehow, despite the fact of all of this chaos he's created, Laurie appears to be the only patient at Haddonfield (laughs) Hospital. (laughs) It's very quiet. With about 15 nurses and promiscuous doctors knocking about. Although there's also the drunk doctor, isn't there, who's actually the guy who's in charge, who they just, they they wake him up when he's absolutely necessary. Otherwise, they, they plod on on themselves. So... Yeah, Michael ends up going there. Laurie's there. And this is where Michael starts to get a bit more creative. And it's... So originally, it was written exactly in the same sort of vein as the first one. So mm. very little gore, all sort of psychological horror. But then when they rewatched it... So John Carpenter was still on board at this point. He wrote it. He was like, it needs to be more. We need gore. Because although that's not what Halloween was, that's what people want now. That's what... Mm. That's why people are going to see Jason 3. That's why people are going to see Slumber Party Massacre, etc. So they reshot, and a lot of the gore that's in it was actually reshoots. Okay. So where he drowns the nurse in hot water while she's topless, that was a reshoot. Of course she is. <laughs> when he, um, well, she's wearing a towel, isn't she, when he does that? Yeah, but by the time he's finished, she's not uh, wearing it. Yeah, but that's because... She's all, like, scalded up. That's because he's given her a vigorous plunging. <laughs> I mean... His hands must be on the toasty side as you know, well. I was, I was thinking that. I was thinking, why aren't his hands getting scalded? I think they probably were. It's just he doesn't... He's just rock hard. Yeah, he's just... Whether it's... He he's, doesn't, probably got, he's probably got mum hands. Yeah, asbestos hands. Yeah. Just doesn't feel pain. Because obviously, say he got like stabbed in the eye in the first film and just got up and walked off. Mm. Um, yeah, so he's offing people like that. He's stabbing people. He's using At one point, he stabs a nurse with a scalpel and lifts her off the ground. Which, that's some strong scalpel. Because it's just like a yeah. little metal scalpel. 
I mean, I'm, sh- I'm sure he could do the lift, but mm. the fact the scalpel's holding on to mm. or even her bones are holding on to that is a bit grim. So Laurie ends up having to, like, make a dash for it and run. She's got, like, a bit of a, a broken leg. Like, her leg's in a cast. And she's scrambling away, and Michael's just stalking after her. For some reason, Dr. Loomis doesn't think to go straight to the hospital when Michael disappears. And it's at this point that another nurse turns up, or a, a nurse from Smith Grove says, you have to go with the marshal you're not allowed to be here we smith grove can't be associated with these serial killings mm. you have to get away and it's at this point she, he's also told that there was a sealed file on michael that they've now opened because of this and we find out that laurie is michael's sister as well yeah, and that's why he's reveal. targeting her and as i said earlier i sort of lose it a bit there when it's just a random act of violence and it's you came to my house i'm now going to stalk you and kill you it made sense but when it's it's his sister. How did he know where she was? The well, convenience of it all. See, for me, I was waiting for that reveal because to me, it doesn't make sense why he would pursue her. I think that if if he was the sort of person to just go around randomly killing people, he's killed all the, all the other babysitters and the boyfriends and stuff, but Laurie's gotten away. And I kind of feel like he'd just let her get away and he'd just go next door and kill more people next door. It no, makes, I feel like it's... Uh, it kind of made sense to me that they would reveal... I mean, I feel like with the way they went with it, it was an obvious thing that was coming, mm. but I just feel like it, for me... Because I said it didn't need to be Laurie in two, it could have just been the continuing adventures yeah. of Michael somewhere else, but because they chose to bring Laurie back, it made sense to mm. make her the sister. But for me, it was just... Because you could just have it as, no, he started, he wants to finish what he started kind of thing, which they sort of did with, he killed one sister, he wants to kill the other sister. But it's just, yeah, for me, it just ruins, it it makes him almost safer because he's just after his family, if that makes sense. So as long as you're not in Haddonfield and you're not his family, like you're safe from Michael. Um, So he goes through all of the stuff. Laurie gets to the drunk doctor's house, doctor's like little room where he sat watching TV and she's like, Oh, let's like. Oh no, it's not. It's a nurse, isn't it? And she's like, "We need you now. We need you now." She spins him round on his chair, and he's actually like, had his throat completely yeah. opened up. At this point, Michael appears in the background again, grabs the nurse by the throat, gets a syringe, pulls it so it's full of air, and then injects the air directly into her brain, and she nice. drops dead. So yeah, he. You think like we talked about with Jason. You think Michael. You think knife. Yeah. But he does do. He does quite a lot with his bare hands. He yeah. drowns. He's a multi-purpose kind of a guy as well. Whatever's yeah. lying around, he'll make use of it. Yeah. Um, He's basically like a, a murdering uh, Swiss army knife. He is indeed. I'm sure he'd use a corkscrew if there was one knocking about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, continues to chase. Dr. Loomis turns up with a, um, a US marshal or a guard. They all get offed. And then it basically ends with Dr. Loomis and Michael in a room together. Loomis sets off like a load of gas canisters to release gas and then sets fire to it. The hospital essentially explodes at Let's this point. Let's not forget that uh, Laurie's in that room as well. No, she's got out of that room. He's like, get out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's in there and she's turning on the gas oh, yeah, as yeah. well. So at first, I always thought that um, all the gas being turned on was so that he couldn't hear, which obviously it does have that effect, but also it's so they can blow him up. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously as well, Laurie shoots him in the f- both eyes because we have the iconic mask shot where the blood is running down his... Such a great shot. Yeah. Essentially so a blood-crying Michael. Yeah, it's just... It looks so, so good. It's easily the best shot of the film. Yeah. Of his mask crying blood. It's a, be- a beautiful homage. 
Uh, so that's how that film ends. Bang, Loomis dead, Michael dead. Loomis sacrificing himself. Loomis sacrificing himself because I feel like he does blame himself because he has been his doctor. Did he do enough? Because he's, he's talking about like destroying him. We need to mm. kill him. He's pure evil. And did he do enough during those 15 years where he was his doctor and his psychologist? Did he yeah. do enough? And I feel like he feels guilty for all those deaths. So then we come to Halloween 3. Can I, so, can I just oh, say a few bits about number two? Of course you um, may. As, as well as the... Um, um, the the bleeding eyes uh, shot. I also think that the it's not the very end shot because the very end shot is um, Laurie in the ambulance with Mr. Sandman playing. Yeah. But as the ambulance drives away into the fog, I thought that was a really nice shot as well um, as she's driven away. Um, but a couple of my favourite bits at the start is when uh, Dr. Loomis calls the sheriff or whatever that he's been working yeah. with doesn't he and he keeps going I shot him six times I shot him six times he just says it over and over yeah. he goes six times I shot him six times I shot him six times the sheriff must be thinking oh fucking hell this guy's a nut job <laughs> but it's not the opening line but the film starts with one of my most hated things it's short it's not a, it's not a six minute Friday the 13th but it does start with a fucking recap but it, but it does slightly change the ending that's why it's yeah. there um, I still hated it though yeah. um, but when Loomis is out on the front lawn and that guy from next door is just going, what's going on out here? What's all that noise? I've been trick-or-treated to death tonight. And he goes, you don't know what death is. And I was just like, yes, that's such an awesome opening line. Um, I, I've i just realised that my phone has auto-corrected Loomis to Looney, um, which is... <laughs> um, yeah, it is quite apt, really. Um, I at times find this film a little bit boring yeah it's not as like tense as the first one um and it's got some nice bits in it but i i did find it a bit dull it's yeah. not one that i like the first halloween i can just watch over like you say you can just put it almost have it on in the background yeah. it's got like that like, nice classic feel but i really feel like the second one was just really i don't know just really just struggling it was just like yeah, I, don't I know, think like as we said it was there was a few years between it and I think they realized that with Jason churning out films it's like we can make more money off this idea it wasn't necessarily made of a we have a story to tell about Michael mm. it was the start of well that everyone else is cashing in we might as well cash yeah. in as well um while we talk about Loomis as well Christopher Lee was actually offered Dr Loomis and turned it down and and he cited it as one of the biggest regrets of his career oh really yeah because um, they wanted an English actor, for whatever reason, to play the part. Well, I like the casting, though. Yeah. No, Donald Pleasance is amazing, isn't it? Mm. Um, so, yeah. So then we go on to Halloween 3, the season of The Witch. So this is where John Carpenter, who again was still attached, and Mustafa Akkad, who was the producer and financier of the films, thought they'd try something different. So this film does not contain... Well, it technically does contain Michael Myers because at points they are watching the film Halloween on television. Yeah. Um but it isn't set within the world where Michael Myers exists. It is, they, they've envisioned at this point that they would continue to make the Halloween series and every year it would be a completely separate film with a different horror Story. thing going yeah. on. Yeah. So it would become like, like an anthology series. Yeah. So this film is all about the Shamrock, the Silver Shamrock Company who make Halloween masks and you've got a doctor whose name I forget. So it starts off with a man running down a road. He's being chased by a car. 
He ends up in hospital, having been chased by this car, and the doctor's there. A strange man appears, kills him, and runs away, gets into his car, and then blows up. But the guy who's in the hospital is clutching a Halloween mask. Oh, he's clutching a silver shamrock Halloween mask. Mm. Apologies. So, yeah, so the guy who killed him then explodes or it blows up his car. Sets himself on fire. Sets himself on fire and the car explodes. So the police are called and the doctor's like, I'm not sure what the hell is going on here. This is strange. The daughter of the man who was murdered turns up and she's like, oh, yeah, the last thing he said was he was going to the Silver Shamrock factory in wherever it is. Like, I don't know what to do. So for some reason, the doctor decides to go with the daughter mm. to investigate what happened at this factory. Because it's his place to investigate it, of yeah. course. Yeah. I mean, it's basically diagnosis murder on, on mm. the big screen. It even got the moustache. Uh, so they decide to go on a road trip of sorts. Uh, meanwhile, he's leaving his estranged wife and two children to fend for themselves because he's meant to be taking the trick-or-treating, but no, he's going to take this, this young, lovely-looking lady away instead. So they go off to find out what's going on at the Silver Shamrock Company where they're churning out. Everyone has this mask. The adverts are on all over the place. We should probably play the theme tune to that as well. If you don't, it's, it's London yeah. Bridge is falling down. Yeah, with happy, happy Halloween, Halloween, or six more days to Halloween. Mm. And it's driving all of the adults mad, but it makes the kids desperately want these masks. Which yeah. One is a witch, one is a pumpkin, and one is a skeleton. skeleton? Yeah, it's like a skeleton head. So they go all the way to this town, which is basically Silver Shamrock Town. Everyone that lives there is a company man. They check into this motel. I mean, a truly iconic scene for me is they check into this hotel as husband and wife, obviously, because they don't want to draw attention to themselves. They get into the room and they're sat there and the guy says, well, I guess I better go and sleep in the car because we've only got one bed in here. And she's like, oh, no, you can't because people will see you. And he's like, well, what am I going to do? And she tells him and goes, well, what do you, where do you want to sleep? And he goes, you know. And then they kiss and have sex. Her dad is barely cold. <laughs> <laughs> and she's having sex in a motel with a strange man who was his doctor. Yeah. Sl- slightly forced. Did you, uh, just just a quick note, did you notice who uh, his ex-wife was? I know, but it's blank- I blanked it's it. It's Annie from the first movie. That's it, correct, yes. Um... So also staying at the hotel is some other people. One woman who's gone to collect her order from Silver Shamrock, but they've got it all wrong, so mm. she's got to stay another day in this crummy hotel. And a couple with their young son who have sold the most Silver Shamrock masks, so they've been invited for like a Willy Wonka-esque tour of the factory. <laughs> um, so they somehow managed to get on the tour with him. I can't remember how. Mm. And they go around the factory and they see some masks and there's talk of final processing and that mask's not ready yet. Um, they have a bit of a shifty around. They end up leaving and something's just not quite right within within the Silver Shamrock. So that night, someone comes to try and get them, doesn't do they? They kidnap the girl, don't they? And he manages to get away. So he goes back to the Silver Shamrock factory where we find out the full ramifications of what Silver Shamrock's plan is. So we see he's quickly captured as well, Mm. and he's shown on screen this family that won the tour. The son is given a mask, and they play the advert. And as the advert plays, the son essentially becomes a pile of snakes. The mask, like, kills him, and things start pouring out of him. The mother has, like, a heart attack... And the dad, like, just goes mental and I think he get, he get, they all end up dead. No, he gets bitten by something that comes out of his head, I think. 
So essentially we find out that the plan is that Silver Shamrock plans to kill every child in America wearing a Silver Shamrock mask at nine o'clock on Halloween night. And it is now Halloween day. Ooh. So time is of the essence. We then proceed through a bit more of a tour of the back rooms of the factory where we find out that it's actually a piece of Stonehenge that they've somehow... I was, uh, I was wondering when you were going to mention Stonehenge. <laughs> they've somehow got one bit of Stonehenge into America. Because it starts off, doesn't it, with news stories about the, this uh, stone from Stonehenge has gone missing and they, yeah. it's like it weighs four or five tons or something yeah. like that and they're like the, the disappearance is a mystery and you're thinking what the fuck is this all about and basically there is a piece of Stonehenge in every mask in the label that's on the back and then we basically find out that everyone else is a robot because there's constant calls back to the CSI for some reason the doctor is again speaking to the CSI about what they're finding and she's all just found a pile of cogs rather than any human yeah. organs and then she's probably offed by a robot that's been sent to cover it up. Yeah. Um, they th- he then he gets tied up in a room with the mar- with a mask on and told to wait until nine o'clock. And he's tied up. He somehow gets out of the restraints, throws a mask over the camera. At, took forty seven attempts <laughs> during filming for him to throw the mask successfully over the camera. Yeah, I think I read that. Um, he escapes. He gets off with gets off with the girl. Escapes with the girl. <laughs> He's already got off with her. He doesn't have to just yet. And he manages to make all of the robots short circuit by throwing the chips over them. Somehow that shorts them all out. Apart from the guy who's in charge who is human and one other person who is able to start the advert. So they run away and they're driving off. And at this point it becomes apparent that the woman he's run off with has been replaced by a robot. A fight ensues. <laughs> uh, she ends up being like headless and the body's coming from independently of him. He manages to get away from that. And the film ends with him at a garage. I loved this ending, by the so way. So the ending is fantastic. So he's at a garage watching the advert starting and he somehow, on a phone in a garage, gets hold of the network, yeah. the TV network, and tells them that they need to stop the advert because something horrible is going to happen. For unknown reasons, the network listen to him <laughs> and take it off. Yeah, it, but it, you kind of don't know that because it just ends. Well, no, so no, so they take it off one station, then the next station's on, that comes off, and then it comes off another station, and then it's on a station, and it's not, and it isn't stopping. And he's on the phone going, he's "You need to stop it. He? You need to stop it." And then the music kicks in that is like the activation. And it ends with him just going, stop it! And it freeze frames on his face, screaming into it. So it's actually not a very good film, but quite a ballsy ending. I liked the ending, yeah. So essentially you've got the plan coming into fruition. God knows how many children are going to die from this advert where their faces are going to turn into beetles. His children amongst them because his horrendous mother had bought them the mask, even though he'd bought them some dog shit masks that were made Mm. out of plastic. Mm. Um... So yeah, so that's Season of the Witch. Sonia smirked through most of that description. I um, I think I preferred your description of it to the actual <laughs> the actual film. Um, I've seen this before, um, and I think when I saw it before, I didn't know that they had planned to do a different Halloween story yeah. every Halloween, and I just sort of like watched it and was just like, "What the fucking fuck is this?" Um, I still watched it and was just like, "What the fuck is this?" It was a real chore to rewatch this. It's um, one of those. So sh- for me, so shit. It's good. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of fun. I just, I think I hate the fact it's got 
Halloween attached to it. Yeah, if it had just come um, out a season of The Witch, it probably would be one of those like shit cult classics. But even the title doesn't make any sense, like Season of the Witch. I quite no. like the tagline when no one comes home. Yeah. Um you know, and I like I liked the ending, but you know, nothing's ever explained as to why he wants all the kids to die, why just Stonehenge, he does. you know, it's just like um He's just not a very nice man. It's just utterly, utterly ridiculous. But do you remember at the start when I said, oh, I meant to look a word up? Oh, yes. Um, I knew what the word was. Um, I just wanted the correct spelling so people could look it up. Now, there's... At the, at the start, when you see the guy in the... The guy being rushed to hospital with the mask and that fella comes to off him and then later on you see another fella come to off the CSI and that. They're yeah. like men in suits with gloves on, aren't they? Yeah. And when when they come when the guy comes back to the hospital and he kills the the guy who's been holding the mask and he puts his fingers in his eyes, doesn't he? Yeah. Pokes his fingers, his gloved fingers in the eyes like that. When he's finished, he wipes his hand on the curtains, doesn't he? Yeah. And it put me in mind of a word, right? So you probably know, listeners wouldn't necessarily know this. I'm a Viz fan. Yeah. And um and I'm a keen reader of the Profanosaurus. <laughs> And it put me in mind of the word zuffle. So, listeners, if you want to go away and look up the word zuffle, that's Z-U-F-F-L-E, um, and see what it means. And I, that's the word that popped into my head when he was wiping Are his... Are you not going to explain it yourself? Bloody fi- no, I think it's nicer if people just look it up themselves. When he was wiping his bloody fingers on the curtains. <laughs> and I just thought, he's kind of zuffling there. Um, I think I know what it is. In a, but... in a, in a murderous kind of way. Um, and I, that was probably the most enjoyment I got out of it, was thinking my dad actually bought me like a new updated version of the Profanosaurus for my birthday. He knows me so well. So I've now got what is literally like um, like a telephone directory size version of the Profanosaurus <laughs> compared to my first ever one, which I got, which is basically just a pamphlet that was stapled to the inside of Viz years ago. Um, it's come on so far and I do love it. And Zuffle's one of my favourite words. And the best thing about Season of the Witch is he kind of Zuffles. Um, <laughs> other than that, a festering pile of shit. But of course, I've, I'll still keep it in my collection. Oh, yeah. You've you got to have the full set. I know. I've got quite a rare box set of Halloween of one to eight, mm. which is on Amazon goes for about 130 quid now. Oh, check you out. Yeah. Mine um, probably go for 50 pence each. I doubt you'd even get that much. Um, so, yeah, so that's number three. Um, as we said, doesn't have Michael Myers because they, they tried something new, but they realised that that wasn't going to cut the mustard. People wondered yeah. where the fuck Michael was. And then, I mean, we won't go into it in too much detail, but I have watched most of them, so I do want to talk about them a bit. So then we get Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, surprisingly enough, they called it. And in this iteration, so we find out that Laurie Strode was killed in a car accident, but she has left behind her her little daughter, Jamie, played by Daniel Harris, who came back in the Rob Zombie films and plays Annie. Mm-hmm. Um, so Another horror icon. Indeed. So Michael, it's not really shown where he's been in the intervening years. He just reappears on Halloween night and he's... Jamie has like nightmares of this man coming to get her, where she's obviously got some sort of connection with him. She's not really into Halloween. She's been adopted into this family. And then Michael arrives into Haddonfield. Most of the cast returned that survived, so Donald Pleasance is back. Hmm. Uh, Sheriff Brackett is back, played by the same actor whose name I can't remember. I apologise, Sheriff. No, it's not Sheriff Brackett. 
it's a new sheriff because it's been like at this point it's been like 15 years like 15 20 years since anything since michael was last around this film was actually really really good michael is back to is back he's very vicious there's some amazing kills he stabs someone with a shotgun rather than shooting them to a wall um there's a very horrendous sex scene in front of an open fire just to really set it off um and then we go into Halloween 5, which is also with Jamie, where it almost picks up straight away. Four ends with Michael being shot around about 500 times and falling <laughs> into a well. Five opens with him falling through the well, it exploding, and then him floating down river and a random man like picks him up and takes him to his little shack. And then a year later, Michael wakes up on Halloween night, kills the man and sets off about his way again heading back for Haddonfield to get Jamie, who's now a mute because of the effects of the first film. Although I missed something. At the end of four, a very good ending. Michael's dead, in inverted commas, mm. down the well. They go back to the family house. The mother is running a bath for Jamie, and then we cut into the creepy first person again, and it's like, oh, Michael's back. He's stuck into the house. We see the mother getting killed. We hear screaming. Loomis runs to the bottom of the stairs and we see little Jamie covered in blood in a clown costume with a pair of scissors and she's off the adopted mother, just like Michael did. Uh, Loomis goes to shoot her, but the sheriff stops him because she's just a little girl. Mm. And everyone assumed that the series would carry on, but with Jamie as the serial killer. Mm. And Michael was actually dead, but they brought him back. Um, And yeah, five five is a bit shit. They rushed it through as they do with... We started getting to Jason territory where they were just knocking them out and they started production on five before four had been finished and released. Mm. They killed a character that ran over from four in a really shit way when it probably would have been nice to have kept her alive. There is a lovely death scene where he uses like a little like hand, little trowel and he stabs a guy like through both eyes at the same time. Uh, he uses a f- pitchfork to stab someone straight through the chest. Five does also include like these bumbling cops who actually have like a comedy score whenever they're on screen. And it is just like, what are you doing? Uh, and then six is one I want to talk about a little bit. So this is the curse of Michael Myers. So what they attempted to do with this film was explain how he kept coming back and how he was immortal. So they introduced the curse of Thorn. So it actually stars Paul Rudd in his first Ooh. cinematic role. Um, he plays Tommy Doyle from the first film, All Grown Up, and he's obviously obsessed with Michael. Mm. He's he's not quite right. He wants to, he can't leave it alone. And but essentially, there's this cult of Thorn that essentially does rituals, and there's the constellation Thorn that appears in the sky. And every time Michael's gone on a spree, this astrology symbol has appeared in the sky, and that's like that's his power, and that's how he keeps coming back. And there's all this backstory. In the theatrical cut, they decided to cut all of that out mm. to the point that the film makes literally no sense. Mm. It ends with Dr. Loomis saying, I've got some business to attend to, then cuts to a picture of a flower on the floor and Dr. Loomis screaming, and that's how the film ends. But in the theatrical cut, he then in the producer's cut, he goes back in and like attempts, and he ends up with the curse of Thorn on him, and it's basically intimated that he has become Michael's keeper for the cult of thorn and michael obviously escapes 
they introduce this random character called the man in black who just appears is never explained but he's like meant to be michael's like the person in charge of michael but it introduces the strode family back into it it's got some it's got some good kills it's got um someone being beheaded and put into a tumble dryer um, he stabs someone into an electrical socket so they get electrocuted. He doesn't get electrocuted somehow, despite mm. the fact he's stabbed them himself. Um, lots of blood in this one. But it was just, they tried to explain it. They sort of put the film out there for test audiences. The test audiences were like, what the fuck is all this about? So they yeah. cut it. But they cut it without refilming or adding anything in. So it, they turned like a two-hour film into a 90-minute film without any connective tissue to it yeah. whatsoever. And it just absolute dog shit. So then they reinvigorated the series by bringing back Jamie Lee Curtis for H2O. So 20 years later, which yeah. is obviously now 20 years ago. And that retconned everything in between. So obviously, because in four, they killed off Laurie Strode. Mm -hmm. And in this, Josh Hartnett is her son. Also stars Michelle Williams oh. as an 18-year-old in her first like theatrical role. So Laurie Strode is now the headmistress of a boarding school. She's an alcoholic. She can't quite get over it. She's under an assumed name. Mm. Her son knows that she's Laurie Strode, but no one else knows. Yeah. He obviously knows that he's got a killer uncle that he should avoid. Mm. Um, <laughs> should avoid. <laughs> Michael escapes, surprisingly, mm. ends up getting into this boarded up school. Luckily, 99.9% .9 of the students have gone on a... Slip on a stay away visit mm. and it's just her son his girlfriend his best mate and his girlfriend and then Laurie Strode and her could be boyfriend who also works at the school Michael turns up starts killing again mm. kills everyone but Laurie and her son and Michelle Williams is one of the few non like Strode characters to survive yeah um there is some cool bits in it. There's a bit where he's walking through a classroom and she's hiding under the tables. He's flipping the tables as she's crawling away from him. Uh, watching a documentary after it, they had a massive fight. So the company making it wanted to kill Michael. They wanted Laurie to kill him. Yeah. And Mustafa Akkad, who's done a lot of films, but his main sort of breadwinning films are the Halloween films. Was obviously, you can't kill Michael. How are we going to make another one? So the compromise they came to... At the end of H2O, Michael is dead. Hmm. Laurie jumps in the ambulance, steals his body, knowing that he's not actually dead. During the course of the drive, he comes back to life. The, the um, ambulance crashes and he gets trapped between the ambulance and a tree. He's like trying to say, like, help me. And she cuts his head off. Hmm. Halloween Resurrection opens with... Michael swapped himself with someone else and she killed a random man mm. who he put in and it opens with them picking up the head, taking off the mask and it's this paramedic yeah. and Michael has escaped. <coughs> so it's kind of interesting because it seems like they were finishing off but they always had plans. Because yeah. some people have seen it and just gone, oh yeah, that's the way they got around it but that was always the plan. At one point it was actually a copycat killer and it wasn't actually Michael Myers which would have been, I think, more interesting. Yeah, maybe. There was talk that it was going to be his, his like her boyfriend would find out and that's sort of where it came from then resurrection is an absolute piece of shit <laughs> so for some reason buster rhymes makes <laughs> amazing he makes these um not, not documentaries but he's like a reality tv show and he basically takes people to horrible places so he takes gets a group of people and they go in to stay a night in the myers house i think i've seen this 
Um, so there's it's lots of sort of not found footage, but lots of like webcams and stuff yeah. dotted around the place. He's walking around pretending to be Michael to scare people, but Michael turns up because it's actually quite a cool scene where Michael is stalking Michael. Mm. And Buster Rhymes turns around and he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Get out, get out. And Michael just sort of stands there and then walks away because he realises it's not his time. Um, but, I mean, his butcher's knife is quite something because in this film he cuts a woman's head clean off with one blow. Mm. Uh, who plays Starbuck in the Battlestar Galactica films oh. um, before she was famous role. Um, so it's pretty much the same thing. Laurie Strode does get killed in that film, so it opens with her in a immense institution because she's gone a bit mad because she killed this man mm. thinking it was Michael. But we basically find out, again, she's just been waiting for Michael, so she's not taking her pills. She keeps being found on the roof and nothing's ever said about it. And then she sees Michael through the window and she breaks out again, goes to the roof. He comes for her. She flips the switch and he's like caught in a bear trap and he's hanging over the side of the wall like about to fall down she's about to drop him but thinks better of it because what if it's another what if he's tricked me again so she goes to take off the mask michael grabs her he stabs her and drops her to her death hmm. she gives him a, a lovely little kiss on the mask before she goes um and then yeah it turns into the festering shits in the in the house with buster rhymes and at that point the franchise died for a little bit and then rob zombie obviously brought it back I think I really enjoy the Rob Zombie film. Yeah, I do. I don't necessarily enjoy all of the Rob Zombie touches. I feel like some of them are a bit much, as we've talked about before. In the uncut version, Michael escapes because someone decides to rape a woman in his room, mm. which just didn't need to happen. It's no. better if he goes out killing a lot of people or in the transport. But I really like those films. Two is lacks a bit of story but it's, Michael is so fucking brutal in that second film I really enjoy it literally stamps someone's head off at yeah. one point um, and yeah I just I mean I just love the Michael Myers character I feel like the mask in the Rob Zombie films is the best mask mm. since the first one as well, especially when it's like all deteriorated in the second one where it's got the holes and like Hobo Michael with the big bushy beard um, and then obviously that was like 2009, I think, was the second one. of that. So it's been almost nine years since we had a Halloween mm. film. There was talk of Halloween 3D at one point, but that died very quickly. And then it seemed like it was gone away. But then obviously we've got this new one, which seems to have, for my mind anyway, reinvigorated the franchise. We'll probably end up with a shitload more crap sequels now. Maybe. I'm hoping not. I'm hoping they'll keep the bar high. Because the thing is as well, this new one only had a $10 million budget, which is less than the Rob Zombies films. Oh, wow. He had 15 million on each of his films, and this is only 10, so it was almost like a calculated risk because it's Bloomhouse. And mm. I didn't realize, but Bloomhouse make a lot of films, but to a first time director, he'll basically let them make. So Jason Bloom hold, like, is in charge of the company. He will give basically give anyone with an idea a million dollars to make a film. And then if their film does well, their next film, they'll get two million, yeah. et cetera. And that, he did the Paranormal Activity films, he did like the Conjuring films, the Insidious films. It's just. His thing is like small yeah. investment with big turnaround, and then they can get bigger. Yeah. Um. Because like his his films have made something like two billion at the box office, and he's laid out about a hundred million on them. Mm. So, quite a savvy man. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so I love Halloween. I love Michael Myers. I just love say his playfulness because he does hide in the shadows. He does appear. I love the fact that he's just this slowly walking he never runs but as i've said before it's the impending doom of michael that he will get you he will get to you 
Any thoughts on anything else I've just said? So you've been quiet for a long time as I've witted on. Well, I haven't seen, um, well, I've seen some of uh, four to eight or however many you watched. I've seen H2O. I'm pretty sure I've seen the one with Buster Rhymes in that. Yeah, so they're like the more recent ones. They had a bit of a Mm. bigger budget and a bit more fanfare about them because they had Jamie Lee Curtis in them. They were made in the 90s. Mm. But no, I think... Yeah, I think it's I think it's an all right franchise. I mean, I have got all those other ones, and I'll probably give them another watch again at some. They're worth point. a watch, but just mm. like be wary that. Pinch of salt. Yeah, like there's some good moments, but on the whole, it's like the odd good kill. Yeah. Yeah, it's decent. And I yeah, like I, it. The only other thing I, I for whatever reason, thought it might be interesting, I wrote down all the people that have played Michael Myers slash The Shape. Only three people have played him more than once. So Tyler Maine played him in both the Rob Zombie films. Mm. Nick Castle played him in the original, and it's really strange because I thought he played him in the new one, but he doesn't. He played him in certain aspects of the new one. Right. So James Jude Courtney plays him for the most part, but there's two scenes where he's basically stood still because Nick Castle is obviously a very old man now, Hmm. and he plays him in those bits. So he's just, there's a bit where there's a mirror involved, and then there's a bit at the end where he's just stood there staring at Laurie, and that's Nick Castle, not the other guy. And then, I mean, some great names of people playing. So in the second one, Michael Myers is played by Dick Warlock. That is a name. What a name. A beautiful name. And then a guy called George P. Wilbur played him twice, but he played him in four and six. So Tyler Maine's the only person to play him in consecutive films. Wow. And he's also the biggest actor to play him. Because apparently Mm. John Carpenter, although he didn't talk about it at the time, he felt that Tyler Maine was too big for Michael. Okay. He thought... The appeal in Michael was that he was a normal guy, and when you make him like this massive, because obviously Tyler Mayne is an ex wrestler. Yeah. When you make him too big, it almost takes away from the supernaturally aspects. Because John Carpenter always envisioned him with a sort of supernatural air about him. Yeah. Which is why he survives getting stabbed in the eyes, getting mm. shot six times. So yeah, he felt that that was a little bit, little bit rich. Mm. But yeah, so that that's me all Michael Myers out. Tidy. That's our Halloween season ended. Yeah. So you should be getting this on Halloween. So happy Halloween. Yeah, happy Halloween. Best day of the year. Yeah. It is. So let's move on to our Kex files. I've talked a lot. So Sonia, tell us what your Kex file was for this week. Well, I I followed um, in the vein of, you know, watching many sort of like shit sequels. And I watched, not to be confused with the film Leatherface, which I watched last week on Netflix. My Kex file is Leatherface, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3. Is this the one with Matthew McConaughey? No, it's got Vigo Mortensen in it. No way. Yes way. He was 60 this week. Um, this is the film that I thought you were talking about. When you said uh, you'd watch Leatherface, and I was like, I've got that. And you like, are you sure? Because it's, you know, it's quite yeah. new. But of course, Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3 is called Leatherface. That's where I was getting confused. So this is, it starts off with um, a bit of narrative sort of saying that um, members of the uh, family. Hewitt family. um, One of them went to trial and was sentenced and was considered that he was Leatherface. Therefore, if he was dead, then Leatherface was dead. Yeah. And then it was, but but then it was like, or was he? You know, like this. So it's just like, alternatively, he may not have been Leatherface, and Leatherface might still be out there. And then it starts with a couple um, on a road trip, and they get 
they have an encounter with a guy at a gas station and they end up going down this road and they they meet a, a guy who's like a survival expert or something and essentially they end up being chased and terrorized by Leatherface because he's out and you know and and the and a family um yeah. not the family but yeah Vigo Mortensen's in it um he plays a character called Tex um or he likes to be called Tex um is he part of the family yeah um and it was it was just okay. It was just like you know I wasn't expecting anything great. It looks okay. It was quite nice to see. Is Vigo it Gunnar Hansen? Up. Huh? Is it Gunnar Hansen? No, I don't think so. The original? No, right? no. Um, I've got it over there. If you want to have a look before you go, um, it didn't really keep my it's just the classic story of like a really grotty family like terrorizing some people on a road trip yeah. do you know what i mean and then um the boyfriend gets um gets offed they managed to like uh kill him but then the um the girlfriend escapes and um like towards the end there's a there's a truck that pulls up and um, she's obviously panicking, thinking it's a member of the family come after her, but it's this survival guy that um, that they've bumped into earlier. And he's just yeah. like, it's me, it's me. But then um, he gets offed as well. And then the, the film kind of finishes with her kind of like laughing, like being covered in blood and laughing this crazy laugh because she's kind of like got away. And it was kind of like the ending of the original Texas where the girl yeah, gets the into the truck and just sort of starts laughing. And it was it was almost just like a, a copy of another film, do you know what I mean? Yeah. But just made newer. And it was just one of those things you just kind of think, okay, I'll just watch that. What was the point of that? Um, it was okay if you want to sort of like collect. Better than last week's though. Or sorry, last Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I probably preferred it to Season of the Witch as well. Blasphemy. Yep. So, so yeah, that was all right. So I got a film called The Watcher from Kex. It's got a big old picture of Tony Todd on the front. Obviously, I was aware when purchasing it, Tony Todd would barely be in said film. Um, so put it on. The trailers that preceded the film were fucking awful. They looked like shit films. Mm. This film started and it looked like it had been done on a camcorder. And it started with some weird guy dressed as a priest who was telling people that he wasn't a priest. And there was a, a rather large-breasted woman sat on a chair. He sits next to the woman and says, are you ready? His hand disappears around her midriff mm. and she makes a bit of a moan. He pulls his hands out, pulls his hand back up and his fingers are covered in blood. He then kisses her and all of a sudden, upon the kiss, her boobs are now out. What, what what have you been watching? Honestly, and then it cuts to the credits. <laughs> At this point, I was like, what the fuck am I watching? So I yeah. tried to find it on IMDb. Couldn't find it on IMDb. I had to start going through, right, Tony Todd's in it, and I was going through Tony Todd's filmography to try and find it. Couldn't. Looked on the back to find someone with an obscure name, and there was someone called Wolfgang Mustin or something. It's like, there can't be many of them <laughs> knocking about. I'll search him. Found out it was actually released in 2004 under the title The Disciples. Yeah. 
And it basically is a dog shit film filmed really shitly. I turned it off about 10 minutes in. I just about got through the end of the credits. But it's basically got lots of very famous horror actors. Mm. And that's the only reason. It's, so it's got Tony Todd. It's got someone from the Slumber Party Massacres. It's got um, Bill Moseley, who's from oh, House of a Thousand Corpses mm. and Devil's Rejects. It's just full of people who are famous for other things. But it genuinely looked like... like I think it must be similar to one that you... Yeah. It had 2.1 on IMDb. That's higher than my one. <laughs> but it was just... Say, when he's literally basically fingered a girl and ended up covered in blood. Because Jem was in the room at this point. Oh, you can't watch that kind <laughs> no, of thing with your wife. And it's just like... I mean, yeah, I mean... It was just... At least you didn't watch it on the bus. No, if I'd have watched it on the bus, I would have just thrown myself off the bus in shame. Um, I mean, the erection would have been embarrassing <laughs> enough. <laughs> um, <laughs> we would have had to have stand it up and pointed to it for people to be able to see it. Um, <laughs> That's quite funny. Oh. But yeah, it was just so shoddy <laughs> and just just awful. Definitely the worst kex file I've had. The only one I've failed to finish. Oh, I can't believe we've had... Two but in like two weeks. It's just, I mean, we talked about obviously like horror seems to be a genre, and we talked about like romantic comedies mm. being a poo poo genre. But the thing is, like, films like that will ruin the horror genre. But I just, I think I said before, like, with a horror film, one good scare will make a horror film a decent horror film. Mm. But it's just, just awful. It's just like, <laughs> just awful. It's just, have I don't you it, Have oh. you put it on your letterboxed? Yes, I gave it zero. Good. I think that's what my one got, wasn't under, it? Under the Disciples, because it's apparently only called The Watcher on the box. Bloody idiots. I've not even read there. the trivia. That's how annoyed I, I was. I bet there isn't any. Probably not, no. no. But the cover is just a big picture of Tony Todd. And I say so I went in knowing that either he's in it and he dies within five minutes. Mm. Didn't even get to him. Oh, blimey. And so all I saw was the vicar and this big boob girl. Well. And it, it's some apparently according to the box, because this is what I thought it might... It's something about demons and devils and a fight for the earth. thought, that sounds all right. Didn't think it was going to start like that. Can I borrow it? If you want, <laughs> no, yeah. I'm joking, I'm joking. So some poor sod's going to end up with that, but... Yeah. I doubt they'll watch it. Be more used to the fucking coaster. 50 pence, you'll never see again. Indeed it is. Luckily it was a voucher, not cash. Oh, lucky. Lucky escape. Right, we're all done and we're all horrid out. We're all horrid out, so now we need to do something we haven't done for a couple of weeks. We need to pull the old hat of hat of mystery in. So I'm going to pull something out of the hat. And if if we pull it out and it's horror, it's going <laughs> back in. <laughs> yeah. Although we love horror, it, it's a nice to have a reason not to watch horror. Yeah. Go what on am then, I going in? Yeah, we'll let you pick. Ooh. Ooh. I can't get a purchase. Hold on. Ray purchase? I can't get a purchase. Well, I think you've got one. No, it's a horror one. <laughs> it's Probably one because seventy-five percent of the categories are mine. Horror. Yeah, it's one of mine. It's a horror. Right, we'll one. go again. We go again. Oh, one of mine. One of mine. It's a yeah, horror. No, it's not. Okay. What have we got then, Sonia? Films about bands. Bands. Yeah, so fictional bands. So what's that one that Dan loves? Almost famous. Along the Spinal lines of that. Tap. Yep. Films about bands, so we can get people uh, involved in this. So we will we will put something out on social media and get people stuck, like giving us suggestions on yep. that. Um, you can tell us about your favourite films. Strictly fictional. Yeah, so not film. So for example, the new Bohemian Rhapsody film is about to come out. We don't want films like that because that's actually about Queen. We want films that are centred around 
either a band or yeah, I, I'd like I'd like it to be fit, centered around bands, but the bands aren't about a real. It's not a real Are there band. Many of those. Well, we'll find out, won't we? Okay. We'll find out, won't we? Do a bit of research. Yeah. 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 Sweet. I won't put it back in that. Yeah, no, that that would be a problem. All right. So films about fictional bands. There we go. So we'll both watch the film Almost Famous. Dan, if you're listening. And this is Spinal Tap. Dan, if you're listening, um, <laughs> we we might be talking about that film Almost Famous. I think you like it. Um, I've never seen Spinal Tap. Have you not? Nope. It's very good. So there we go. I'll be watching that. That could be. I'm sure that's probably a 50p job, but that could be. There we go then. That could be my Kex file, can't it? Sweet. I just can't think of any more than those two. You don't need to think about it right now. We're going to sit here and have a ruddy good think. We're not. (laughs) Uh, Right, social media stuff then. Um, You do ours because I never remember what it is. Did you do our email last time? I did not do our email last time. Right, delete all of this. We'll have to record again. (laughs) So we are Theatrical Cut Pod on Instagram and we are theatricalcut at gmail.com if you want to email in about your favourite band, your favourite fictional band films, uh, strictly fictional. Um, I am Prefax on Twitter and Instagram and Sonia is Mallory underscore watches on Instagram and has fucked off Twitter. Yeah. Um, and the mother pod is TMTOOH on the Instagram, 2MTOOH on the Instagram. You said Instagram twice then, didn't on you? On the Twitter, 2MTOOH <laughs> on the Twitter. It's very late. I need to go to sleep. <laughs> it is on the late side of things, um, especially if you're hungover. Yeah, oh, I'm well beyond the hangover now. It's like base. It's another. We're into another day now, aren't we? We so, literally are. Literally are. So, um, we're all done, Terry. It's been emotional. Mike, drop. <laughs> <laughs>